Welcome back, Wit listeners. I'm your 2023 host, Becky Schneider, and today we are so excited to welcome Kathleen Mitford to the podcast. Kathleen is the Corporate Vice President or CVP of Global Industry Marketing at Microsoft, responsible for providing customers with robust industry solutions through the Microsoft Cloud and Microsoft Partner ecosystem. She is a passionate champion of diversity and inclusion in tech, particularly when it comes to women. Prior to Microsoft, where she joined two years ago as the CVP of Azure Marketing, Kathleen spent 15 years at PTC, where she started as the VP of Market and Competitive Strategy and rounded out her time as the EVP and Chief Strategy Officer. She is a proud wife and mother of two and a graduate of Philadelphia University. She enjoys art, traveling, and outdoor activities like running and gardening. Kathleen, thank you so much for joining us. We are so excited to have you today. Thank you so much for having me, Becky. I'm excited to be here today. Absolutely. So tell us a bit about yourself, where you're from, and more about your current work and position at Microsoft. Absolutely. So I am originally from the East Coast, from Philadelphia, born and raised in the last 15 years. I lived in Boston with my husband and my two kids. And two years ago, we moved out to the West Coast. I live near Microsoft's headquarters near Seattle where I'm the corporate vice president, as you mentioned, of global industry marketing. And here at Microsoft, my role is to work with this fantastic team and to really help our customers and our partners get to value with solutions faster by providing deep domain and industry experience through our partner network. Absolutely. No, thank you for that. You know, you were born and raised in Philly, spent some time in Boston, and then headed over to the West Coast. So you've had some pivots. I believe that you got your start in a very different field after finishing school. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So I actually started my career as a fashion designer. So from the time that I was like seven years old, we used to have these things called fashion plates, where basically you could change out the head and the hat and the hairstyle and the bodice and the skirts and the shoes. And ever since I was seven years old, I wanted to be a fashion designer. And that's what I did. So I went to school for fashion design and worked in New York as a menswear designer for about five years or so. And then I had the opportunity to get into technology. So I was one of the youngest designers at the company and they were implementing a new technology solution. And they asked me to lead the implementation. And I spent so much time on the phone with the technology company telling them what their software should do. They say, why don't you come and work for us? And that's what I did. So that was my first entrance into technology for a small retail technology company. And I started there as a product manager. I had to learn the tech field. I had to learn what it meant to be a product manager. But that was my entrance into technology and was at that company, which was more of a startup for a while. And then had the opportunity to join PTC to help them get into retail technology. They focus mostly on industrial manufacturing. And being at PTC for 15 years, I did almost every role there. I did product management. I led their engineering team. I led partnerships. I led acquisitions. I led marketing. I was on the executive team for many years before Microsoft recruited me. That's quite a leap there with different parts of your career. I'm, I'm interested, a theme that we've been hearing recently is that, especially in the tech industry, companies are looking for people who are fast learners, 
who have applicable skill sets and, and don't necessarily need to have a background in technology as long as they have those skills. So can you talk about if you found that to be true? And if so, how a start in fashion, a career in fashion kind of prepared you and taught you different things for a big career in tech? Yes, people often ask me, they say, oh, it's so different fashion design versus being in technology. And I say they're actually not that different. If you think about what you're doing in fashion design is you're understanding what are the customer preferences? What type of clothes do they like to wear? Really trying to understand who that end user is. Are they somebody that is younger, somebody that's a little bit older? Are they wearing clothes for work? Are they wearing clothes for a formal dinner? So if you look at what you do in fashion design, where you understand what's happening with the customer's needs, you look at what's happening in the market, what are the fashion trends, what's happening in areas which are very high fashion, and what's actually working, what is selling today. And if you apply those same type of principles to technology, I feel they're very applicable. You know, here we spend a lot of time on our customers' needs. What do our customers need from us? What do they expect? We spend a lot of time in technology looking in trends, looking at both technology trends as to how is technology evolving with things like AI. We talk about trends in our customer. How is our customer's business model evolving? And then we look at usage as to what's actually being you know used today from the technology that we're already providing. So I see that some of the skills that I learned in fashion design are very applicable for technology and any type of technology role that I had, whether it was product management, whether it was development, whether it was working with partners. And many people say, how could you have so many different roles or careers that you weren't technically trained for? And being curious actually helped me with that. And hey, okay, you're going to be leading an engineering team. Let me learn DevOps practices. You know, let me listen to podcasts. Let me read books. Let me talk to people who have done it before. Yeah. So obviously that whole journey going from fashion and then getting into tech and then eventually ending up at Microsoft has led into your current position, which I think happened relatively recently. You became the head of global industry marketing at Microsoft. So I just wanted to ask about that new role, how that came to be, and kind of what your current responsibilities are, and what you're excited about with it. Okay, yeah, that's a that's a big question there. So let me unpack that. So I'm in role a little over six weeks now. But this has been in the works for a while with me talking to my leadership team, about how I can apply my experiences to really help Microsoft. It's a really exciting time in the industry right now. And if you look at technology and some of the different technologies that Microsoft provides, what our customers want from us is they want to get to value very quickly. They want to be able to see the benefits from the technology investments that they have made. And one of the things that helps customers get to value quickly is understanding their business and understanding their industry. So given my past experience in working in a variety of different industries across retail, across consumer products, across heavy equipment, auto, aerospace, med device, and then also being a partner to Microsoft, which partners are critically important to Microsoft, the Microsoft leadership team asked me to take on this role to see how could we accelerate the Microsoft cloud, 
which is made up of you know many horizontal solutions, things like Azure, which people probably know, the cloud, Microsoft 365, Dynamics 365, Power Platform. So how could we provide vertical expressions of our horizontal platform to really help customers get to value quickly? Yeah. Whether that's providing industry domain expertise to driving something like Power Platform or Azure, very critically working with partners and really understanding who are the partners that have the deep domain knowledge and have really good relationships with customers. And of course, also where appropriate, how do we provide first party differentiated IP? So my job here at Microsoft is to work with our customers, work with our partners, work with our great teams here at Microsoft to really help that vision of helping customers get to value faster through industry expertise to bring that to life. So for example, like in manufacturing, we have prioritized helping our customers with enabling intelligent factories. You know, it's really important for manufacturing customers to operate their factories efficiently. So how can us and our partners help them with that? In something like financial services, companies there, they have differentiated banking experiences. Healthcare, how do we help with hybrid experiences and meeting with your doctors? In prioritization, we first look at what are the areas that are most important by industry for the trends that the customers are seeing and the business challenges that they have. And then who are the partners where Microsoft has relationships or will form relationships to leverage our technology to help our partners deliver those differentiated experiences for customers? Yeah, I know this is really a hot topic right now. Do you have any specific thoughts that you'd like to share with all of our listeners as AI starts to pick up? Well, what I would like to say is I think that we all have a commitment to responsible AI, meaning Microsoft has a commitment to responsible AI. The partners that we work with have a responsibility to responsible AI. And then also as users, we have a responsibility to make sure that AI is used in a safe way. And that is part of our commitment at Microsoft. We began our responsible AI journey many, many years ago, where we defined what do we believe are the core principles for responsible AI. We also identified not just what are those principles, but what are best practices, how we implement them. We have agreements with our customers that the models that are developed are their models. We will not use or share those models. So I think we all have to keep these principles in mind, especially with something new. And I look at it very similar with security. You know, security is a shared security. Everybody has a responsibility to make sure that we are protecting people. And I believe it's the same way with AI. We all need to lean into AI and do our part with it. Absolutely. I want to kind of switch gears a little bit. Obviously, we are a women in technology podcast. So talking about female representation at Microsoft, The demographics of the tech industry obviously have changed over the past 40 years or so. So I just wanted to hear about your thoughts on being a woman at Microsoft, the representation of women across the company, and if you think that that is an example that the rest of the tech industry could be following. Yes. One of the reasons why I joined Microsoft is Microsoft's commitment to diversity and inclusion with women being part of it. And not just within Microsoft, but also Microsoft's commitment to that, you know, for the global community with which we exist. 
At Microsoft, our women representation is a little over 30%, almost at 31%. So, you know, we're a little bit ahead of the industry, but we recognize that we still have a long ways to go. So it is a commitment that we have very deeply here at Microsoft to continuing to drive women in technology. It's actually very interesting being here. I was on a panel just a couple months ago with a couple of other CVPs from Microsoft, and it was an all-women panel. Wow. And like, I think this is the first time in my career that I've been on a tech panel with heads of engineers, because it was myself and some of my engineering counterparts, and it was three women. Actually, this one was four women. So yes, we still have a long ways to go, but it's something here at Microsoft where we are committed to it. I believe also that it's by example, when you have a woman leading marketing, which isn't that odd, or women in high engineering positions as presidents and CVPs, that also gives inspiration to younger women that, hey, I can get there someday. Look at this example that's being set for me. So it's been great you know, here at Microsoft with so many women in senior executive positions. Yeah, having that full panel of women that are at the top of their you know, respective departments or BUs within Microsoft has got to be so not only refreshing for those of you who were a part of it, just to see how far all of these women have been able to come that are at the top of their game, but also for the women who are just starting out or kind of more mid-level positions, seeing what is possible that there can be a full room or a full panel of women that are still paving the way and making change and pushing us forward. Do you have any just words of wisdom or or advice to give those younger women, maybe entry or mid-level, any women who are starting to climb that ladder, what advice would you give to them? So I would say, number one, know where you want to go. So let's start with a goal. And that goal could be a variety of different goals. It could be, I want to reach a certain level, you know, in so many years. I want to be a vice president. I had a goal. I wanted to be vice president by the time I was 30. Didn't care what role it was, but I wanted to be a vice president by the time I was 30. So set a goal for yourself, whether it's something as to, I want to be at this certain level. I want to work in this certain group. I want to have these different types of roles. Number two Based upon that, what are the things that you need to work on and how do you fill those gaps? And a lot of that goes with being curious. So if you want to switch from a marketing role to a product management role, who are the people that can help me with that? Who should I reach out to and understand what they look for in a product manager? Are there skills I have to learn? Are there books I can read? So I think there are things you can do on being curious, on learning some of the skills for where you want to go. But then I'd say the most important advice that I give to those early in career is have confidence in yourself and be your biggest advocate. You need to show up with confidence. You need to use your voice. You need to be an advocate for yourself because how you show up is how people perceive you. And it doesn't mean that you need to have the loudest voice in the room. You need to be seen and you need to figure out what being seen for you means. Again, for some people that are a little bit more introverted, maybe they're not as comfortable speaking up in a meeting with executives. Using the chat in something like Teams is a way to being seen. So I I think those are some of the important things that I would recommend. Have a goal, have confidence in yourself, be curious, find advocates. Yeah, to hit those goals that you set for yourself 
make sure that they're clear, have confidence that you can do it and then advocate for yourself as you start the journey, I think is really, really great. You know, we're talking about being a woman in the tech space and finding your way and having confidence and paving that journey for yourself. You had said previously that being a woman in tech is great, but you also can be more than a woman in tech. And I kind of want to dive into that comment because I think the sentiment behind it is really interesting. So what do you mean by being more than a woman in tech? Yes, I am very proud to be a woman, but I do not want to be judged based upon whether I'm a woman or a man. And by judged, I mean, you know, when I am in a meeting with my peers, I look at us as we are peers. I don't consider myself a woman when I'm in that situation. I consider myself a leader of marketing that is having, you know, a conversation with other peers. Some are women, some are men. And also, you know, in my position, I often get calls for different board positions and advisory positions. And one of the first questions I always ask is, are you calling because you're interested in my background or do you have a quota that you need to that you need to fill? Yeah. So by being more than a woman in tech, it means, you know, it's that tech part. I want to be recognized for my leadership skills, for my depth, for my authenticity versus, you know, just being recognized because I'm a woman. I actually had a good learning moment for myself when I was an EVP on the executive team at a previous company. Yeah. And, you know, I had some some of the times when, you know, in my first leadership team meetings, being the only woman out of, you know, a team of 10, where I'd be a little bit nervous and I would think, oh, my gosh, I'm the only woman here. As soon as I changed my mindset from considering myself a woman sitting at this table to saying, hey, I'm equals with everybody here. I've earned the right to be here and stop thinking of myself as the only woman there. But as a member of that team, it greatly helped me with my confidence and my presence and how I showed up. So that's just as an example of how flipping the story that you tell yourself from I'm the only woman here to I'm a member of this executive team. Yeah. You know, you being a woman has impacted your view on the world and your journey through the world. But when you arrive at the table with all of these other people, be they men or women, you are all equals in an intellectual capacity at that table. And that should be what shines. So I appreciate that. You know, on the flip side, we're talking so much about not being a woman be the center of attention when you're in situations like this. But in other senses, you being a woman is the center of attention, especially when you have a family and have children. And I know that you're a proud mother of two young kids, and that has really impacted your positions and your career as it would for any woman or anyone who's starting a family. So can you talk about, you know, in a family sense, in a motherhood sense, how that impacted your life and your take on your career? Yes. You know, it's actually interesting. I'm an older mom. So my daughter is 11 and my son is seven. And I just turned 50 in October. And one of the reasons why I felt like I would not be able to have both earlier in my career, I'm like, oh, gosh, there's no way that I can be a senior executive and have a demanding job and have a family. And at first, I didn't want children. And then when I turned 35, my biological clock started ticking. And I'm like, oh, shoot, I actually want children. 
And then yeah. I had to convince my husband. And then after I convinced him, I had was recently promoted to senior vice president. I'm like, oh, I need to prove myself. We can't get pregnant yet. I can't take time off. And my husband's like, come on, you're not getting any younger. So it took a couple years. And then, you know, it was actually very interesting that my career did not go backwards. It just continued to accelerate. Once I had children, after my daughter was born, I was so nervous. I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to have to leave at like 3.30 to get home and breastfeed my daughter because I wanted to have, you know, certain time for her with her before she went to bed. And I'm like, how am I going to be able to tell the CEO that I can't do meetings after three o'clock because I need to get home? And I set those boundaries that, hey, you know, I am 100% committed to my career. I need to make sure that I am prioritizing what is most important. But it was really interesting for me that time right after my daughter was born to see that I could set boundaries as to what you can expect of me for things like working hours, that I needed to do ruthless prioritization because being yeah. a mom, you know, you need to make sure that yeah. you have the time for your family. It taught me a lot to delegate to my team as well, you know, with you can't do everything if you're taking care of a couple of kids as well. So I, I think those are some of the things that being a mom taught me was you have to set the right boundaries and know what those boundaries are. Make sure to prioritize, prioritize, prioritize ruthlessly. Delegate, because you don't have to do this alone. And when I say delegate, I mean both delegate in the work environment and delegate at home. There was a lot my husband needed to pick up and we made a choice for him to become a stay-at-home dad. People say, can you do it all? You can do it all, but you have to make choices and you have to do it deliberately. Yeah, all of the prioritization and all of the delegation and all of the balance that you create. I think what my next question is going to be for women who want that, but are kind of nervous about taking that next step to say, no, I'm done at 3 p.m. No, I this is now my priority. No, I need to balance this way and are, are nervous to have those conversations. What would you say looking back that really helped you with establishing that precedent and putting your foot down and getting everybody at home and career-wise on the same page with you about what your priorities were going to be and how you were going to sort that out? Yeah. So I think there's a couple different things and there's priorities at work and there's priorities at home. So for priorities at work, I was very clear with my manager at the time, who was the CEO of a company, that I had high aspirations and letting him know, and you know, this is good advice for everybody. Hey, this is where I want to go in my career and making sure, you know, that my, my CEO knew that this was a path that I was on. And then boundaries, making it very clear as to what those boundaries are and what you can expect. So it's basically agreements with your leadership team. So my agreement was, hey, I'm going to leave the office at around 3.30. I'm going to spend time with my daughter until she goes to bed. And then I'm happy to hop on calls in the evening. But the agreement is from 3.30 to 6.30, unless it's an absolute emergency, you know, I'm out of pocket. So making sure that you're transparent and have that agreement with your leadership team. And then the same thing at home. My husband and I had to change a lot once we had children. And what are those home agreements that are not just about taking care of the children, but everybody's lives, you know, change once you have kids. What parts do I need him to lean into? And also setting clear expectations on the home front 
even today with my kids, I have to be very transparent with my kids on what nights mommy's home for dinner and what nights mommy isn't home for dinner. And I need to give them two weeks notice when I have a business trip, if I can. So I set those expectations. And another piece of advice that I got from a colleague related to starting a family, and I was a little concerned about my husband being a stay-at-home dad and me working. And my colleague said, your children know the normal that you set for them. They don't know anything other than the life you're making for them. And that is something that I use even to this day because, you know, our life is different than my kids' friends. So anyway, hopefully that's helpful. I think that's a really healthy and and productive way to go about things. So as someone who was from the fashion industry, what is your favorite pair of shoes of all time? Well, that is very simple. Right now I have, I've had these pair of shoes for, gosh, a couple of years now, hot pink stilettos. And there's two reasons why I love them. Number one is the color. Hot pink is my favorite color. Yeah. Number two, it's how they make me feel. When I wear anything hot pink, it just gives me a level of confidence. So if I have a big meeting that's really important, I will probably have my hot pink stiletto shoes on. (laughs) Or if I'm not wearing those, I wear uh, some other type of hot pink article because, again, it makes me happy, makes me smile, and makes me feel even more confident. Yeah, I love that. I know I've talked about different themes that we've discovered on the podcast, but one of them over the past couple of years is that there's no right way to be a woman in STEM. There's no right way to be a woman in tech, but there's also no right way to be a woman. And I think not conforming to whatever society is telling you uh, that you need to be in order to fit a certain role in tech, especially a lot of times because women are the minority in these spaces we kind of conform to the standards that men have set for the industry. And so finally breaking out of our shell and wearing those hot pink stilettos and showing up as our confident selves to advocate for our abilities, I think is a a really good takeaway for folks. So wear the shoes, wear the bright colors, whatever makes you feel like the best version of yourself and you're going to rock whatever professional or personal situation you're in. So Thank you so much, Kathleen. Really appreciate you coming on. Thank you, Becky. Really appreciate you having me. Best of luck to you. You can find Kathleen on LinkedIn at linkedin.com backslash K Mitford. That is K-M-I-T-F-O-R-D. I'm your 2023 host, Becky Schneider. And until next time, keep inspiring girls and women to rise from the classroom to the boardroom. 